great to see everyone tonight. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the members of the teaching team here at Elements. And uh, this evening, we are wrapping up part two of a kind of our two-week mini-series, I guess you could call it, on faith. And so if you missed last week, you have the opportunity to catch that on our website, on video, or you can check it out on our podcast. But just so that we're kind of, we're all on the same page as we go forward tonight, we said last week that Faith is something that plays an incredibly important role in our lives, especially for those of us who are Christians. And maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. And, and if that's the case, if you're just kind of checking this out, you came because somebody invited you and promised to give you uh, a dinner afterwards. And if they didn't promise to give you dinner, you should make them give you dinner afterwards. Uh, you know, we're so glad that you're here. Every week uh, when we gather and we plan and we pray about what we're going to do, what we're going to talk about, uh, we do that with you in mind. We recognize that there are people here who are skeptical of the Christian faith. We recognize that there are people here who may have had a bad church experience at some point. That maybe somebody who called themselves a Christian um, really kind of gave you a bad picture of what Jesus was like. And you said, if that's what his followers are like, then I don't want anything to do with that. And so we're glad that you're here tonight um, and as we talk about this. But for those of us that are here who are Christians, faith is just so central, isn't it? I mean, you think about it, we call it the Christian faith. And yet as important as faith is, oftentimes we don't stop and think about kind of, well, what is faith and what does it look like and how does it change the way that I live. And so that's what we're doing in this kind of two-week series out of the book of Hebrews, chapters 11 and 12. And last week, we had a definition of faith. We said that faith is confidence that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. And so we looked at some examples of that in Hebrews chapter 11. We looked at, at Noah and Abraham, these uh, two men who were not perfect, and yet they exhibited faith, they exhibited confidence, not only that God is who he says he is, that he's all-powerful, sovereign, uh, loving, good, and just, but that he'll actually do what he says, that he'll carry through on his promises, that he's trustworthy. And so tonight, as we continue, we're going to talk about faith, but we're going to come at it from kind of the other side. Because if you've been a Christian for any length of time, or even if you're a relatively new Christian, then you know that when things are going well, it's a lot easier to have that kind of faith, isn't it? When your job's going well, your career's headed in the right direction, you're on the upward track. When your kids are doing well, they're staying out of trouble, they're listening about as well as kids can listen to you. When your marriage is good, your friendships are good, your finances are kind of secure, you're not too worried about what might happen. When all of that is taking place, it's a whole lot easier to have that kind of faith, isn't it? But what do you do when you find yourself in a situation where the roles have been reversed? What do you do when you, you find yourself in a situation where life isn't going so well. For some of you, that might be your story. In fact, you may have walked away from the church and are just now coming back because at some point in your life, you hit a bump in your road. You collided with the worst of this world. You collided with this broken, busted, sinful world. And it took you down. And it took you out. And it destroyed your faith. And you're just now kind of starting to, to 
put the pieces back together, so to speak. You're just now getting to a place where you feel like you can even talk to God again, where you're just kind of coming back to faith. What do you do when you find yourself in the midst of difficult circumstances? How do you maintain faith in the midst of difficult times? See, Jesus said that he's going to a comeback, and when he does, he's going to set right everything that's wrong. But even though that day is not yet here, we have somehow as Americans kind of bought into this notion that really what God wants for us is to just be happy and to be healthy and to be wealthy. And if we're not happy and if we're not healthy and if we're not wealthy, then we just, we must not have enough faith. We think faith is about getting God to do something for us rather than faith being about confidence that God is who he says he is, that he'll do what he says he'll do and that he will sustain us regardless of our circumstances. And we have bought into this lie. Even those of us that would say on the surface, no way, that is not true. That is unbiblical. We've bought into this idea that, that somehow when our circumstances are good, when life is going good, then our faith kind of, it comes along for the ride and our faith is going, get, is going uh, better. But what do you do when you find yourself in the midst of a situation where life has knocked you down? Maybe it's knocked you out cold. Maybe your marriage fell apart. Maybe a friend stabbed you in the back. Maybe you find yourself in a situation financially and you have no idea how you're going to get out of it. What do you do in those moments? What do you do when someone you love faces an illness and God doesn't heal him? God doesn't heal her. What do you do? How do you keep going in those times? That's what we're going to look at here tonight. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to be, just read a couple of verses. Last week we read a lot of verses. This week we're going to read just a couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So when we started reading last week at the beginning of chapter 11, we were dropping into the middle of a discussion, actually. And so uh, much like uh, the other epistles in the New Testament, the other letters, the first portion of Hebrews, really up through the middle of chapter 10, is a lot of it is about teaching. It's about doctrine. It's about uh, kind of, this is what we believe. And in particular, the author is talking about the fact that Jesus is superior to everything, that he brings a superior covenant, that the sacrifice he offered was far superior to the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Jesus is superior. And so in light of that, he then shifts and he begins to talk about how that ought to impact the way his readers live. And, and, through scripture and the fact that this amazing letter has been preserved for us today, almost 2,000 years later, we look at it and we know that it speaks to us and that it shows us how we ought to live today. And the interesting thing about it is, is the situation of the original readers is not that different from what I just described. That they were facing hardships. They were facing difficulties. It's 
quite possible, even probable, that they were facing some sort of persecution for their faith. And they were starting to have doubts. They were starting to have questions. They were starting to think, is it worth it? Do I want to continue in my faith? Wouldn't it be easier to just go back to the old system? Wouldn't it be easier to go back to the old covenant? To go back to following the laws that we saw in the Old Testament? Because life was maybe a little bit easier back then. We were a little bit happier back then. But now this, this faith, this Jesus thing, is kind of it's bumping up against us and it's causing us some difficulties. And it's into that situation that the author says those incredible words that we just read. And so what I wanna do with our time left tonight is I wanna go through these verses slowly, kind of phrase by phrase, and I want to look at what they show us because it's in these verses that we see a powerful truth that can speak to us today and to show us how do you maintain faith in the midst of difficult circumstances. So let's go through those verses again. Hebrews chapter 12 starting in verse one. Therefore, now this is just a little Bible study tip. Anytime you're reading your Bible and you see a therefore, you should ask, what's it there for? And some of you got that. (laughs) Usually what the author is doing is he's tying in what he's just said. He's kind of drawing a conclusion based on what he just said. So in this case, the author is not only drawing a conclusion based on what we read last week in chapter 11 about all these men and women who've demonstrated faith throughout history from the time of, really from the time of creation up through the end of the Old Testament, but now he's going to even go further back than that. He's going to say, hey, look, in light of the hardships and difficulties that I know you're facing, This is how we ought to respond. So therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and that's the list of people that we we saw last week in chapter 11. It's all these men and women in the Old Testament uh, up kind of through the time of, of the 400 years that were between the end of the Old Testament and up until Jesus. And we see these examples of men and women, not who are perfect, but of men and women who demonstrated faith, who demonstrated confidence in God and in his ability to do what he says he will do. And, and now you fast forward to us today, 2016, and, and we have another almost 2,000 years of witnesses behind us. You think about the Christians uh, in the book of Acts, starting out at the beginning, about 120 of them. And it grows from there. It, it defies logic. It doesn't make any sense. There was nothing politically or socially to be gained by being a Christian in the first couple of centuries. It wasn't until Constantine came along that Christianity really took on a political flavor, that it really kind of almost became beneficial to, to call yourself a Christian. In some parts of our country today, it is beneficial to call yourself a Christian. So I lived in the South for a while. If you lived in the South and you didn't go to church, that might lose you a business deal. But some of you may have lived in the Northeast where if you go to church, that might lose you the business deal. That's more how it was in the first century. And yet, despite that, the Christian faith flourished, even amidst persecution. As Christians were burned alive at night to light the gardens in Emperor Nero's uh, household, 
And you go on and you look at the Christians in the Colosseum being fed to the lions. And even though they knew that they were going to die for their faith, men and women continued to step forward and profess faith in Jesus and to demonstrate confidence in God, even as they faced death. You think about men like Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, and many others, men who at great personal risk worked in the early part of the 16th century uh, to kind of bring the church back to some of its original teachings, to kind of take some unbiblical ideas that had crept into the church and to bring it back to this central idea that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that it's not because of any works we do, that it's not because of anything the church can do for you, that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we're saved. They launched what's known today as the Protestant Reformation, and almost 500 years later, we stand here today on their shoulders, proclaiming many of the same truths. As evangelical Protestants, we too believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. You think about uh, Jim Elliott and a couple of, four of his friends. In the 1950s, uh, these young men and their wives went down to Ecuador and they wanted to bring the gospel to the Alca tribe, which was a, a very dangerous, uh, previously unreached people group. There had been very little, uh, if any, contact from the outside world with these people. They were um, just to use the term, they were savage. And, uh, and it was a, a very difficult situation. And yet, and yet, these men went in there and ultimately all five of the men gave their lives. They were killed, bringing the gospel message to these people. A people, by the way, that eventually embraced the Christian faith. You think about the news uh, that we see from time to time especially in recent years, of men and women all over the world who profess to be Christians, who say, I'm a Christian, even as they are killed by terrorists. See, we have 2,000 years of history behind us. We have 2,000 years since the time of Christ of people who have been faithful witnesses, who have gone before us, who have run the race, who have lived the life of faith. And so in light of that, in light of that, we read this. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The, the picture here is of a runner. It's a runner throwing off anything that would uh, keep him or keep her from reaching their goal. You think about the first century, obviously the, the clothes were not as form-fitting as what they are today. And so, you know, if you wanted to run a race in the first century, you had to lose some outer garments and you had to tie up uh, the other garments and you had to get ready to run this race. But even today, even today we see this. We'll see it in the Olympics this summer. You'll have uh, runners in track and field events. You'll have swimmers. They'll have their warm-up suits on, and then right before the race starts, they'll take them off. They'll be in their body suits. They'll try to be as aerodynamic as possible. They want to throw off anything that might hinder them from running or swimming the fastest time Possible. That's what the author is getting at here, that we have to throw off anything that hinders us, including, 
including the sin that often gets us in trouble. Isn't it true that sometimes when you and I have found ourselves in difficult circumstances, and if we look back on that now, we recognize that that it was our sin that got us into those circumstances. It's not always the case. Not every uh, difficulty or hardship is a direct result of a sin we commit. But sometimes, sometimes we make choices to do it our way. We say, God, I know better than you. I'm going to do it my way. And when we choose to sin, when we choose to do it our way rather than to do it God's way, it introduces a whole set of difficulties and circumstances that sometimes causes us to doubt, causes us to question. Why? Because sin entangles Sin ties us in knots. It gets us, it binds us, and it gets us all twisted around, and it changes the way we think to the point where we can no longer think clearly. And the author of Hebrews is saying to us, listen, if you want to to go forward in the midst of hardship, then one of the things you've got to do is get rid of anything that hinders you. Get rid of that sin that so easily entangles. You've got to turn around, and you've got to do this. And let us run with perseverance, or some translations say run with endurance, the race marked out for us. See, Christianity is a marathon, not a sprint. Spiritual growth is a marathon, not a sprint. We want the microwave. God says, now let's do the 48-hour smoker. Now you tell me what tastes better but we don't like that. We want everything to be immediate. We want everything to happen now. And yet the author is saying, you've got to run with perseverance. So how many of you are runners? Or at some point you were runners? And I say that because I was a runner at one point, okay? I ran track in high school. Now, if you've ever done distance of any kind, that you know that sometimes, especially when it's hot, that it's difficult. Your legs are hurting your lungs are on fire, your vision is starting to get blurry, you've stopped sweating because no matter how much water you drink, it's never enough and you're starting to get dehydrated, but you've got two more miles to go to get back home. And sometimes you've got to just keep putting one foot in front of the other. See, if you stop and think about how far you have to go still, then you're done. But you just gotta keep going and keep putting one foot in front of the other. And sometimes, sometimes in our lives, we face circumstances, and the only way to keep going is to keep putting one foot in front of the other. It's not to worry about next week or next month or next year. It's not even sometimes to worry about tomorrow. It's just to worry about today and to say, God, I need you to sustain me and to get me through today. And now we're going to see how he does that. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down 
at the right hand of the throne of God. If we want to run the race of faith with endurance, then we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. We have to look at him and we cannot take our eyes off of him. So when I was in high school, I ran the 400 meters. So that's one lap around the track. Um, And one of the things that I struggled with, especially early on, is kind of uh, maintaining uh, the appropriate form in the last 100 meters of the race. So if you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire, and, and I know that's an old movie, and if you're not a runner, you may not find it, but kids, and kids is anyone under 30, okay? Kids, look it up on Netflix or something or Hulu or whatever you guys are doing these days for getting your movies. Look it up. Great movies about a a couple of runners from Great Britain in the 1924 Olympics. And one of those runners, Eric Little, he comes and it's near the end of the movie and he's coming down the stretch in the 400 and he's starting to pull away and he's going to go on. He's going to set a world record time. And he just, he just kind of throws his head back and his arms are just out. And he's just, he's all arms, all legs. He's just kind of flailing all over. Okay. That's what I looked like minus the world record speed. Okay. So now this slows you down when you're running. So my coaches taught me, they said, look, when you come around that turn and you head for home in the last hundred meters, you go out before the race, you find a point in the distance and you lock your eyes on it and you do not move your eyes. You stay fixed on that point in the distance. And you know what would happen when I would do that? Things would go so much better. And that's what an author is saying here. He's saying, look, if you and I want to run with endurance, the race that is set before us, then we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. We've got to lock in on him, keep our gaze set on him. Because when we look around, things start to go sideways. Like one year in the regional finals of the 4x400 relay, I was running the anchor. The guy behind me was about 30 meters behind me. That's an easy win normally, but he would go on the following week to win the state championship. So I have the fastest 400 runner in the state chasing me. And for the first 300 meters, it was great. But with 100 meters left, I made a mistake. I did something that I don't normally do. I looked over my shoulder to see where he was. And I knew he was getting close because I could hear him come and I could hear his breathing. But I looked over my shoulder. And when I did that, not only did my head start moving and my arms start going, but I shifted to the right a little. I gave a lane for him to kind of come up alongside me and catch me in the last 10 meters. He and his teammates actually thought they'd won. It took him a couple minutes to look at video. And we had pulled it out by a few hundreds. But it would not have been that close if I had simply done what my coaches taught me to do, to keep my gaze fixed ahead of me on that point in the distance. Friends, some of you are facing difficult circumstances. Some of you are facing hardships. And what you need to understand is that it's not because you don't have enough faith. It's not because you did something wrong. It's simply because that's the world in which we live. Jesus said, one day, everything that's wrong with this world is gonna be made right. But then he also said what Lyle prayed about. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Not you might have trouble, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. I've guaranteed the end result. And sometimes the only way that we can make it through each day 
is to keep putting one foot in front of the other and to fix our eyes on our Savior. See, what we see in these verses is this truth, that if you and I want to maintain our faith in the midst of difficult circumstances, then you have to set your sights on your Savior. You have to set your sights on your Savior. He's the one who went first. He's the one who was the pioneer of our faith. He's the one who's the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that led the way. And we have to set our sights on him. Now, how do you do that, right? Because that's one of those things, well, that sounds like a good idea, but really, I'm facing some difficult circumstances. How do I continue to maintain my faith in the midst of that? And I want to give us maybe one step that we can take, and we'll actually have an opportunity to, to practice that here in a minute. And this step is going to come out of the next verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. It says this. It says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When you aren't sure what to do, when you aren't sure how to keep going or what the next step looks like, when you aren't sure even how you're going to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, you consider the cross. You consider the opposition that Jesus faced for you. You consider the fact that he willingly gave up his life so that you and I could be restored to a right relationship with our heavenly Father. You consider the cross. Every week we take communion together, which means every week we have an opportunity built into our service for us to consider the cross, to pause for a moment in the midst of life, that regardless of the circumstances we're facing, to take that bread representing Jesus' broken body, to, to take that cup of juice representing the blood of Jesus that he poured out for our sins, and to do that and to remember him as a community of faith and to consider the cross and to be reminded of the fact that this life is not all there is. A day is coming when Jesus will return. And some of you might hear that and you say, yeah, I, I get it. I hear what you're saying, Brandon. But you know, if you knew what was going on in my life right now, I just, I'm not even sure I can get to that point. And you know what? I totally understand it because I've been there. I know what it's like to, to be so depressed that you just can't even think straight anymore. I know what it's like to, to consider wanting to kind of, to just be done with faith to just walk away from God, to say, you know what, I'm just not sure it's worth it anymore. And as I look back on that season of my life, one of the things that I've, I've come to realize is that in those moments, what sustained me was not anything I did. What sustained me was the fact that my heavenly father loved me too much to let me get away. And friends, if you're facing a difficult time, what will sustain you is not reaching way down and mustering up some supernatural strength inside of you and trying to be someone you're not and trying to act like your circumstances are something they're not. What will sustain you is your heavenly father because he loves you too much to let you get away. And if you are here tonight and if you've got something that's going on and you'd just like someone to pray for you 
After communion, we're going to have two more songs. I'll be over here uh, to your right. Uh, We'll have a couple of other people from our prayer team over there. And if you just want someone to pray for you, uh, we'd be happy to do that. You don't have to go into great detail and and tell us, you know, what's going on in your life because that can be awkward, right? You come in and you're going, I don't really know this guy. I don't know this woman and and I don't know what I want to share. You know what? You don't need to, to worry about that. You just say, you know what? I could really use some prayer. I just, I'm in a place right now where I need someone to pray for me. We'd be happy to do that. For the rest of us that are here, you know, tonight may not, uh, you may not be in that place tonight, but I promise you that at some point, every single one of us is going to bump up against difficulties and bump up against hardship. And we're going to have to wrestle this question to the ground. What am I going to do now? And in that moment, it's my prayer for us that we remember these words, that we set our sights on our Savior that we consider the cross, consider what he went through to restore us to a relationship with our heavenly father who loves us too much to let us get away. Let's pray. Heavenly father, I just thank you for this truth that you've preserved in your word for us. I thank you for Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of faith. I thank you that even in the midst of incredible pain, incredible suffering, that, that he considered it a joy to go through that. Not because it was joyful to go through those circumstances, but because of the joy that he would experience afterwards, sitting at your right hand, experiencing all the glory that you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit have shared with one another from all eternity past. Father, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.